You're listening to This Week in Sports. Good evening, everyone. How's it going? I'm your host, Anthony. You're listening to This Week in Sports. Today is Friday, November 30th, 2018. Right around the corner, and we're in December. Crazy how the year has flown by. I have to start today's episode off with some breaking news, okay? We have some breaking news, and it comes out of the Kansas City area. By now, you all have seen the video. I'm talking about Kareem Hunt, the one, the only, the running back, second-year running back for the Kansas City Chiefs one of the powerhouses in the NFL right now. But the video in question is from February, and it was posted by TMZ, and it shows Kareem Hunt shoving and kicking a woman. Listen, this is taking place in a hotel, in uh, the Metropolitan Hotel in Cleveland in February. I don't know why the video is just coming out now, but this is eerily similar to the Ray Rice video. Okay, there are multiple people involved in this one, whereas the Ray Rice video was just him straight up punching his then fiance. He was not charged with anything. He's now married to his wife, is um, Ray Rice, but he was kicked out of the NFL and he never made it back. Okay, um, Kareem Hunt is facing a very bad situation right now, and you know. There, I saw some other snippet videos of where he is, you know, he did talk to the police, so the police were involved, both parties spoke to the police, all right, um, so basically what happened was, I think this all stemmed from the fact that um, Kareem Hunt was trying to get this woman, whether she was, you know, a sex worker or a, you know, prostitute, for lack of a better word, you know, I don't exactly know, But apparently, Kareem Hunt tried to get her to have sex with his friend. I don't know if she refused. I heard that she threw out the N-bomb a bunch of times, and then he gets in her face and shoves her, and then she tries to, like, scratch his face. So basically, this video is shot in a hallway at this hotel, and again, there's multiple parties involved. Um, He's pointing at her, gesturing, and he gets in her face. Like Again, he shoves her. A man then gets in between uh, Kareem Hunt and this woman. I don't exactly know who this guy was, um, but Kareem Hunt then try- pushes the man aside to go after the woman again, and he actually... Uh, he- he's taken, pulled by some of his own people, I, I presume, and he go- he's rounds this corner, so he's out of the picture, and then another guy comes into the picture, and next thing you know, Kareem Hunt escapes, goes after her again, pushes this guy who then falls into this woman, and they both uh, fall to the floor, and it looks like she bangs her head on the wall um, there, and then she's dazed and confused trying to stand up, and once she tries to stand up, she realizes, okay, I gotta sit down again, I can't stand up, and then Kareem Hunt comes back and he kicks her while she's down. Like, he kicks her in the chest area. I mean, my God, his name is Hunt, not Punt. It, ridiculous. So now, the Chiefs found out about this basically in lo- live when we, when we, the public, were finding out about this. And uh, the latest I have is that Kareem Hunt was sent home from practice. 
and I don't know what's going to stem from this, what's going to come of this. We don't know what the NFL is going to do yet. This is so new and fresh. It only happened literally just a few hours ago this afternoon around 1 o'clock. So, so there's a lot to a lot of layers to this. Um, there's a lot that's going to come out, I'm sure. We'll see what happens, but it's not looking good for Kareem Hunt. I'm sure most of you Kareem Hunt owners out there ran and picked up Spencer Ware because we could be looking at a suspension. His status for this weekend, for Sunday, is up in the air. I mean, I don't even know. Are the Chiefs going to suspend him? Are they not going to suspend him? Is the league going to intervene here? Is the commissioner going to step in and suspend him? I don't know, but this is the latest... Uh, this is breaking news again. It's happening live, so we'll we'll find out. Um, okay, even more breaking news. This just in. Adam Schefter just tweeted out that Kareem Hunt may not practice, play, or attend games. The NFL's investigation, which began immediately following the incident in February, will include a review of the new information that was made public today. Well, that new information obviously is the video, but if if the NFL knew about this since February, you can't you can't tell me that they they wouldn't have suspended him. This is just bad all around again. So, yeah, Kareem Hunt is in trouble. He will not be playing in Sunday, it looks like, and he's going to be out uh, until further notice. So, wow, yes, that is the latest and uh, this is a big blow to the Chiefs and a big blow to many people's fantasy teams right now. I'm set to play in the first round of the playoffs. The guy I'm set to play right now is, has Kareem Hunt, so this couldn't have worked out any better for me right now. So let's just see what happens. You know, I don't want to wish anything bad against the, against this guy, but hey, this is the nature. Um, these these athletes, for whatever reason, they cannot stop with the domestic violence incidents. Granted, they were not in a relationship, these two, but it's just the, the assaults, the, the just constant, constant bad press that the NFL keeps getting each and every day. It's, it's bad. It's bad for the sport and it's bad for society as a whole because we have little kids that look up to these players and they're setting bad examples as a role model. I couldn't fathom Derek Jeter ever doing something like this in my childhood growing up. I idolize that guy and it would have been devastating if he ever did something like that. But anyway, so that's the most breaking news, the biggest news of the day and of the week um, actually, even though it came out today, that tops them all. So Kareem Hunt, I've got it for you here. I just broke it. Literally, Adam Schefter tweeted that moments ago. So this is the first you're hearing of it. So you're welcome. Okay, we can move on now. And I'm going to stay in the NFL, ladies and gentlemen. I was going to start with college, but since we started with that game, we can move along to the, uh, we'll stay here in the NFL uh, with that story. Okay. So we'll go to the Thursday night game, all right? That was last night between the Saints on the road in Dallas. Saints have won 10 in a row, and it was an ugly one for sure. I did not truly believe that the Dallas Cowboys, having won three in a row, could come into this game and keep up with the Drew Brees-led New Orleans Saints powerhouse offense, putting up over 30 points per game, one of the most prolific, high-powered offenses in the NFL, Drew Brees having one of his best seasons yet, okay, I think only threw about two interceptions going into last night's game, but 
things happen. You're on the road. You're in Jerry World. And the Cowboys got hot, and that defense was ready for Drew Brees, and they were bringing constant pressure up the middle, and Drew Brees could not handle it. The Saints were held scoreless in the first half. That is astronomically insane because the Saints never get shut out. In fact, that is the first time that the Saints were shut out in the first half in 71 games. Okay, the last 71 games that they were able to score at least one point, you know, in a first half, and they were shut out last night. But you knew, you just knew that the Saints could not be shut down for too long. They could not be held scoreless. And they came out in the second half, and they quickly fought back. Drew Brees connected with Kirkwood on that touchdown, and then they built some momentum. It was then 13-10, to and they had a chance. But, but Drew Brees failed to pull through. Shockingly enough, around the three-minute mark, the Cowboys were driving. It was third. I don't know if it was third and goal, but it was like they were down in field goal range right around uh, in the red zone. And Dak Prescott was um, dropping back, and he was sacked. And the Saints recovered the fumble. And you thought, oh boy, here we go. Drew Brees has about three minutes left. Here we go. He's going to drive down, win this game. And he threw an interception to end the game, essentially. So, yeah. Uh, the refing, the officiating in this game was really bad. There was a couple bad calls on both sides. We had towards the end, maybe five-minute mark or so on that drive where Dak uh, fumbled at the end. We had a Cole Beasley catch on about a third and five. And his knee was down short of the line to gain, short of the first down marker. And they gave him the first down. Sean Payton could not challenge. He was out of challenges at that point. Tough luck there for the Saints. Then we had an Alvin Kamara helmet-to-helmet, a clear and obvious helmet-to-helmet. And I was shocked that the officials missed that one. Very shocked because we had a veteran officiating crew with Walt Anderson there. So I was very surprised they missed that. And I'm, I'm telling you... Alvin Kamara had a concussion because he was wobbling. He was couldn't stand up straight after that play. And then on their final possession, Alvin Kamara is out there on the field. So I'm very surprised there. I didn't hear anything this morning or today about him, you know, having actual an actual concussion or being in concussion protocol. So I'm very surprised there, but he looked dazed. And yeah, so it, very interesting that now because uh with what that Cowboys win last night did in fact was it, it had a uh, a big trickle down effect so the Saints are no longer number 1 in the NFC they had that tiebreaker with the Rams the Rams jumped them now for home field advantage number 1 spot in the NFC which is huge and also with that win the Cowboys now jump ahead of the Redskins and move into sole possession of first place in the NFC East and boy oh boy if you look at that Cowboys remaining schedule you don't you wonder how is it possible for anyone else in that division to catch them at this rate because they're playing such great football winners of four in a row now but if you look if you really look at their remaining schedule it is super super favorable so let's look at this right now with that win against New Orleans they now they they play uh the Eagles they play then the Indianapolis Colts now those are two so-so teams they could they those are uh they could lose maybe both of those games if not one or the other the Colts are playing really well 
uh, right now. Then they play, to close out the, the season, the Tampa Bay Bucks, who can't even sell tickets. They are so bad that they're having to give out free tickets, okay? That's how bad Tampa Bay is. And then you have, of course, the New York Giants, who are 3-8. and eight. So realistically, they could win. They could win three of four of those, or they could win four of four. Um, and realistically, I would say that they win three out of four of those, and that's a pretty good season, okay? And at, at seven and five, you, you look at that three out of four, uh, that's 10 and six, and usually that gets you in the playoffs. So here is Jason Garrett on what it took for the Dallas Cowboys to beat such a good Saints team. Take a listen. One of the big keys to this game was handle the success of the game and keep playing, handle the adversity of the game and keep playing. It was going to be a 60-minute game. You know, we got out in front of this thing. We did a good job stopping them defensively. We did a good job uh, possessing the football offensively. We got ahead, but we knew they'd keep coming, and we had to keep coming. And uh, we made some critical stops at the end of the ball game. Everybody had a piece of it. And here's Dak Prescott after the game when asked, how did you write the ship when no one else thought you could? Here it is. Honestly, our mindset is we, uh, we didn't get down on ourselves. We didn't count ourselves out when everybody did, uh, when we were three and five. And um, we, we, we knew we had lost a couple of games before that that were close, that we should have won. We should have made a play there. We could have made a play there. And those games would have been different. Um, so we just kept that mindset mentality is just get better each and every week. Let's stack good days on top of good days of practice. Uh, and I'll end up to stacking wins. And that's what we've been able to do. But as I said, we've got to continue to get better at that. This is a team that, I mean, a lot of us were here two years ago when we rolled off 11 or so, whatever it was, straight. So in uh, this league, is about taking it one game at a time. And when, you, when you're able to do that, have that mentality uh, and stay focused in each and every game, uh, you give yourself a chance to, to get hot and uh, win four straight as we have now. Yeah, of course, we need to take that. Uh, we need to take the confidence that we've got from these last four weeks and uh, and just continue to grow, continue to get better every phase uh, of the game, offense, defense, uh, special teams. I mean, defense, honestly, I mean, they, they, they did that tonight. Uh, we didn't make enough plays on offense. We could have made pl- uh, more plays, uh, left plays out there. Uh, but when the defense, when we have the defense that we have against a great offense like that, um, how can you not be confident? And finally, here is Sean Payton when asked if he thought the officiating played a part in his team losing this game. I was involved in the process of, of the rule. You know, it's, listen, those are hard, hard to call as well. And, and, and really, it's tough when the guys are moving around real fast. So I, I haven't seen it as cleanly as you guys have. But uh, oh, listen, um, you know, we got beat. We got beat tonight. And uh, there'll be a, a number of things we could point to. But overall, we just didn't do enough as a team. So yes, that's your Monday night game, and now from there, we'll just back it on up a little bit, and we'll review and go over uh, a lot of last week's games, and we start with the 4 p.m. game with Phillip Rivers, and what an outstanding game it was, because Phillip Rivers tied an all-time record, and that record is the most completions in a row which was 25. He started the game having completed 25 straight passes. All right. And that actually tied with um, the NFL record with Ryan Tannehill, mind you. He did it two years ago, I believe. And uh, Rivers, just an outstanding game. They were playing the Cardinals, who granted not a very good team towards the bottom of the pack there. 
in the NFL. Rivers ended up getting pulled for Geno Smith late because they were blowing him out. He finishes the day 28 of 29 for 259 yards and three touchdowns. And it's a shame because he tied him with 25 straight and then he tried for 26 and it was a check down and he faced pressure and instead of uh, taking the sack, he tried to dump it off to his running back and no cigar. He was not able to complete it under pressure. Okay, next up, I'm going to move on, talk about the Giants real quick. The Giants are the Giants. They're now 3-8, and eight, and they blew a huge opportunity against Philadelphia. Coming in, winners of uh, two straight. They had a 19-3 lead at the half, okay? And what happened? They completely went away from Saquon Barkley in the second half. He had, I think, four or five carries when he was dominating in the first half. The secondary of the Eagles, nobody can hide it, how bad they are, okay? They've had injury after injury. They are such a banged-up secondary, and you have one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and in the second half, they stopped trying to go downfield with the ball. And a lot of that could be attributed to Odell Beckham Jr. Where was he in the third quarter? Oh, that's right. My man Odell had to go to the locker room to get some IV fluids because he don't like to drink water and it makes him sick. And of course, he's cramping up in the calves again. Here's what I want to ask Odell or the Giants training staff or anybody that works for the Giants. Why is it that at halftime Odell Beckham could not have gotten an IV? Why is it at halftime Odell Beckham couldn't find the refrigerator or the fruit bowl and pick up a banana or some orange slices like the soccer kids do? The soccer moms slice them up and give them out at halftime of soccer games. Okay, where where's that? Is there nobody that knows what a what what a, what a banana or some orange slices is, or maybe some Gatorade? I mean, this is ridiculous. He has about 20 minutes of halftime to get his IV fluid, to relax, to rest his calves, get a massage, do whatever he has to do. But instead, he's doing it during the game, missing valuable game time in the third quarter, and it's costing your team. Not to mention, I'm going to give Saquon a little bit of a pass because the kid is only 22 years old, and he has a big play, and then he's gassed, and he's on the sideline, and the beginning of the third quarter... You know, he he's sitting over there when Gallman is getting all the touches, like three, four in a row. I mean, come on. The Giants are just a mess all over the place. And I don't know if we could put all the blame on Eli because they've had a better offensive line of late. They picked up that guy from the Rams. So it's been a little bit better. But still, there's that hesitation there a little bit with Eli. He threw that bad interception when they were in scoring position at the end of the first half. Just a mess for the Giants. And they were trying to win out and try to make a run for the playoffs. But nope, 19-3. to And what happens? They get burned on a Jake Elliott game-winning field goal with 25 seconds left. And they lose the game. And oh, and it gets better. OBJ decided to throw my man Pat Shermer under the bus again. The head coach, once again, thrown under the bus. Because Odell, of course, had to say... When being asked, oh yeah, personally, I would have liked to attack the secondary, but it wasn't in our game plan. Well, who calls the game? That's right, the head coach. So by saying that, you're throwing your head coach under the bus once again, and he's a problem. Each week, if he had a game plan and he wanted to throw the ball deep, be out there on the field running routes. 
but they can't throw deep when you're not out there. So that's what I have a problem with. All right, Lamar Jackson is now 2-0. He just won his second straight game, leading the Ravens to a victory over the Oakland Raiders. He was 14 of 25 for 178 yards. They had him throw a lot in this game, so he did throw two interceptions. Also had 11 carries on the ground for another 71 yards. One touchdown through the air, ran for another. Um, Ravens are back over 500. John Harbaugh might be might be having some breathing room now because uh, his hot seat isn't as hot anymore. Still thoughts that he might be gone at the end of the year, but hey, they're in the they're in playoff hunt. They're in contention. And it's looking like Lamar Jackson is going to start again because Joe Flacco has not been cleared for for uh, practice duties yet. And so we'll see. More Lamar Jackson, it looks like, on the horizon. He's been playing pretty good. The Ravens have been winning, so why not stick with what's working? Okay, the Packers. They got all sorts of problems, all right? And I don't know what to make. I don't know whether to make heads or tails of it, but, you know... Um, they just can't seem to get out of their own way, and I don't. I really, I don't know what it is. So, they lost to the Vikings on Sunday Night Football, twenty-four seventeen. Rather close game, but not really. It, this one was pretty much dominated by Kirk Cousins. He had one of his best games of the season and maybe of his career. The Packers now fall to four, six, and one. And their odds of making the playoffs are really, really, really low. I think I saw somewhere it's around 10% or so. They have lost four of five, which I actually did not know. And believe it or not, the Packers have yet to win a game on the road. All four wins coming at home. So that just spells, that's not winning football right there. That spells disaster. And yeah, that's why the Packers are pretty much not going to make the playoffs at this rate. And apparently there's a lot of rifts going on between Packers head coach Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. And usually when something like that happens, the coach is the first person to go because Aaron Rodgers ain't going anywhere. A lot of tension there. Um, I know personally, I don't like Mike McCarthy as a coach. I never really have. He won a championship in 2010, and that was basically because he has Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. Okay, let's not let's not get things twisted. Mike McCarthy is not the reason they won. Aaron Rodgers is. Okay, so yeah, um, tensions really not looking good there between the two. And I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is just the type of guy that has problems with with everybody because he's got those issues with his family and just all sorts of things. Um, the play calling is usually done by McCarthy, so Aaron Rodgers may be taking slight slight irritation with the way the play calling has been. I don't know. It's it's just it's not good for the Packers. And again, if things keep trending in this direction. The coach is going to be the first one to go because you're not getting rid of Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. All right. And uh, the only other team maybe worse than the Packers right now is the Jaguars uh, because on Sunday they were forced to bench Blake Bortles once again in a loss to the Bills 24-21. to This was their seventh straight loss 
after they beat my Jets early in in week four, if you remember. That was Blake Bortles' best game of his life, actually. Um, And ever since then, it's been all downhill. Someone, of course, though, had to take the fall because the Jaguars were in the AFC Championship game last year. It's gone so so horrifically bad for them this year. So offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett was fired on Monday, and it has to be tough because... Doug Marone, the head coach, has worked with Hackett in the past. They've worked at the college ranks together. Um, so, you know, it's tough when you bring a coach with you from other places and you have that close relationship to now have to tell him that he's out of a job. That's got to be tough. But um, this was a really bad game all around. I, well, it's one thing to lose to the Bills, but in the fashion that the Jags did it, they just were unhinged early in the, uh, late in the second half, uh, second quarter rather. A fight broke out. The Jaguars were right around the 10-yard line in the red zone. A fight broke out. Leonard Fournette came off the bench, started throwing haymakers like he's Rocky over here when he wasn't even in the game on the play. He gets tossed, and it was just such a bad look that the penalties forced the Jaguars way out of uh, the red zone, and then they ended up not even securing the three points because they missed the field goal, and they end up losing by three, as a matter of fact. So it's just really, really bad look. And Leonard Fournette has been suspended one game. He appealed, clearly denied, so he will miss this weekend's game. And now we got to talk about the Bengals. I guess we just keep getting from one bad team to another to another all of a sudden. I didn't plan it this way, trust me. The Browns came into town in Cincinnati. We all know this was the return of Hugh Jackson because he accepted a job back with the Bengals, used to work with them, was fired from the Cleveland Browns as head coach earlier in the year, and now he had to face up against his former team, and boy, was it ugly. They should have easily won this game, the Bengals. Instead, they get blown out 35-20, to and it wasn't even that close. It was 28 to nothing in the first half at one point. Um, it's worth noting that Andy Dalton... Broke. Uh, he had some ligament damage done to his thumb, which we found out after the game, and he has since been placed on IR, and his season is done. Um, the quarterback that replaced Andy Dalton is Jeff Driscoll, and he will now start moving forward. The Bengals went out and signed Tom Savage. So we'll see how the Bengals do moving forward. But it was embarrassing all around for uh, Hugh Jackson and and the Bengals and Marvin Lewis as a whole. Just not not good for that franchise. They started off hot this year, lost A.J. Green. Now they've lost Andy Dalton and Tyler Eifert, and it's just bad. Okay, Jack Doyle is another player that's been lost for the season. The Colts' tight end really become a favorite of Andrew Luck over the past couple seasons. He took a hit in Sunday's win over Miami, spent the night in the hospital, actually, pretty serious. Kidney procedure had to be had to be performed, and his season is over. But it is worth noting that the Colts are 1-4 without Jack Doyle, but 5-1 with him. So we'll see if Andrew Luck could keep the magic going without Jack Doyle. All right, we move on. Monday Night Football. The Texans looked impressive. They won their eighth straight game, setting a franchise record in the process by winning 
eight straight, never been done before. They started the season 0-3, and I was starting to think to myself, Bill O'Brien is not a good coach. This man's got to go. He's been bad the last couple seasons. He he makes some questionable coaching decisions and some coaching calls. But hey, they've, they've righted the ship. They've been playing really well on both sides of the football. J.J. Watt is healthy. Deshaun Watson looked impressive, strong, strong arm, can get it done on the ground. And Lamar Miller showed up in this one. Um, had a 97-yard touchdown run, which that is the sixth touchdown of 97 yards or more in NFL history, and Lamar Miller has done it twice, go figure. So they roll, they get a big win, beat the Titans 34-17, to and they have a firm, steady grip on the AFC South. All right, some weird things happened with Reuben Foster. Talked about Kareem Hunt getting into a fight. Well, now there's more stuff about... Uh, Reuben Foster, the 49ers cut him Sunday after a domestic violence allegation, which took place Saturday night, the night before the game, actually. um, So the 49ers cut him because he's had a bad history of domestic violence. They stuck with him as long as they could. They said, that's it. We got to cut him. There was actually a team that claimed him, and that was the Washington Redskins. All right. Now, which is very surprising. I saw Kyle Shanahan spoke about it earlier t- uh, today or yesterday, and he said he was actually really surprised that a, that a team claimed him. And the Redskins thought was that they'll claim him, and he's not even going to be around their facility. He was put on the commissioner's exempt list. He's gonna They're going to go through their investigation, determine what to do, and then if at some point they determine that, okay, he's good to go to come back to football, then they'll ease him back into the Redskins, and, and they'll get a good football player there. But they have a lot of Alabama players on that on that Redskins team, so presumably a bunch of them maybe vouched for Reuben Foster, but he's just got a bad history of run-ins with law enforcement over the last year even, and if you remember, he served that two-game suspension to begin the season following a gun charge. Uh, he was also accused of a, of a DV this past summer, but char- those charges were dropped when his former, yeah, his girlfriend at the time, she recanted that statement. I might have brought that up in an early, early episode of This Week in Sports way back in the glory, in the glory days. But um, it, is, it is tough because not only do the Redskins claim him and they say all these good things like, yeah, we just claimed him, but he's not nowhere near us. They're paying him $33,000 a week to do nothing. So why claim him? Wait till this blows by. Wait till he's cleared. Then you claim him because they're they're facing a lot of unwanted blowback. You're in a playoff race right now. You don't want that negative, that negative, uh, that that just gray cloud, that dark cloud looming over your team in in the middle latter stages of the season when you're trying to make a, a run at the playoffs. So I just think it was it was a poor decision by uh by the chief uh the Redskins. Excuse me. All right, now to some good news. The Kansas City Chiefs, they could use some for once. And the good news would be that all-pro safety Eric Berry is back. Okay, Andy Reid announced that he is practicing for the first time all season. The hope is for him to be back on the field sometime in December. And yes, this weekend we will be in December. So he could come back Sunday. He, He could come back next weekend he could come back the following weekend. We don't know. So, but that is good news for the Chiefs. 
who have a prolific offense, but their defense has been lacking of late. And I could use him back because I have the Chiefs defense on my fantasy team, and I'm actually starting them against Oakland this weekend with or without Eric Berry. But the 29-year-old has been sidelined with, I never heard of this, but it's called Haglund's deformity, H-A-G-L-U-N-D, and it sounds very painful. It occurs when a bone spur digs into the Achilles. Uh, So yeah, ouch. And we all know that Eric Berry is a tough son of a gun because he's overcome uh, cancer as well to get back on the football field. So uh, rooting for him to get back out and, and play and do what he loves to do. Mitch Trubisky, another injured player quarterback for the Chicago Bears. He missed the Thanksgiving game against the Lions. Luckily, Chase Daniel did enough for them to win. And I guess Matt Nagy saw enough out of Chase Daniel to warrant him starting again because Trubisky still just isn't right and he's not able to play. So we're going to see another week of Chase Daniel. Trubisky has not yet been able to uh, practice. So another another one with uh, Chase Daniel this weekend. Hopefully he finds Tariq Cohen again for another touchdown. Okay. We got to talk about Baker Mayfield for a second because we all know the antics he showed at at Oklahoma. I get it. He, you know, he was a walk on at Texas Tech and had to work, 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 and then go to Oklahoma and fight his way onto the team there and into the starting quarterback and Heisman winner and number one overall pick. But this guy just doesn't know when to shut his mouth. You are a rookie. And what I'm talking about is he had a lot of words to talk about his former coach, Hugh Jackson. Listen, Hugh Jackson was fired by your team, presumably because of you. I mean, you didn't physically go and tell them to fire him, but you're the reason that he's gone. Let's, you know, let's make no mistake about it. Hugh Jackson then went, what do you do when you get fired? You're going to sit around and not do anything, not have a job like a bum? No, Hugh Jackson did what any what any normal person would do, what any rational person would do, and he went and he found another job pretty damn quickly, might you. It, uh, and he went back to the Cincinnati Bengals, who happened to be a division rival of said Cleveland Browns. And Baker Mayfield apparently had a problem with it, saying, oh, it's too soon, it's too soon. You got to be kidding me, it's too soon. Come on. I mean, the man lost his job and went and found another job. That's what you're supposed to do. You can't get on him for that. So whatever. Um, I didn't like the comment that he had. And this is why I don't like it. Because if you're, if you're picking, you're taking shots at Hugh Jackson now, but you didn't have, you, you weren't man enough to go to Hugh Jackson when he was your coach and, and, you know, and voice your opinion or say anything about him. You wait till, till he's gone until he can't really defend himself. And then you, you, you know, you talk about him. So I think it's just childish rookie, rookie mistake. And that's just who Baker Mayfield is. Let your play on the field, do your talking. That's all. Okay, Ben Roethlisberger is up next. He had some choice words for his teammates. They lost to Denver in a close game. I did get that one wrong. I'm very surprised. They should not have lost this game. He threw a game-clinching interception in the end zone looking for Antonio Brown. Criticized his route on that play, I think. Um, Very, very interesting. But he goes on his weekly radio show, uh, and he said, this is a direct quote, He had words for his offense coordinator, Randy Fitchner, as well. He said, I think I have earned the right to be able to do that with as long as I have been here. And I'll just 
be just as critical of myself in the media as well. You have to know how to motivate different guys in different ways. I think that's part of being a leader, being a captain, just understanding players. And again, I got to come back to this whole thing. Uh, Listen, Derek Jeter was my idol growing up, so I'm going to revert back to him. Derek Jeter would have never done this. Not once. You don't go on public radio or a public forum and throw your teammates under the bus. I don't care if you're Ben Roethlisberger, two-time Super Bowl champ. I don't care who you are. All right, Tom Brady, you cannot do that. You, it's just not what you do. You, By all means, take care of it in-house. You go to them. You rip them a new one. You get on them. You motivate them however you can, but you should not do it on live radio for everyone to hear. I just don't think that, that that's a good image for the Steelers. Oh my God, breaking news. The Chiefs are releasing Kareem Hunt. Holy crap. Adam Schefter just announced it. The Chiefs are releasing Kareem Hunt. This man's career is over. I'm calling it right now. This is Ray Rice all over again. Kareem Hunt is done in the NFL, at least for this season. Wow, we have got to see what this what this means for the future of the Kansas City Chiefs and and their Super Bowl hopes. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Just I'm I'm stunned right now. This is. This is unbelievable. And 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 just like that, that will actually do it for our NFL segment. Um, that's last week's game. So that this is a good time to roll out our picks for for um next week, uh for this weekend's game. So give me one second to regroup here and I'll see you on the flip side and we'll talk about uh next week's uh this weekend's games. I'll be right back. Listen up, everyone. Before we move on, a quick word from our sponsors for today's episode, because let's face it, I've got to pay the bills too. And we're back. Okay, everybody, let's get into it real quick. Here it is. We have week 13. Here's my picks. I'll give you each game and I'll give you my picks against the spread. So we start off with the Lions are plus 11 over the Rams, okay? I gotta say, I'm not liking this one. I am gonna stick with the Rams. They're coming off a bye, and the Lions just aren't very good right now. They lost to Chase Daniel at home on Thanksgiving, so give me the Rams to win this by two touchdowns. Next up, you have the Falcons at minus one over the Ravens. I actually like the Falcons here. I know Lamar Jackson is 2-0. and I already spoke on that, but he's playing in his first big test on the road, and I just think as bad as the Falcons have been this season, they have enough offense to be able to, to take this one. And, and quite frankly, if you pick the Falcons to win, you expect them to win by more than one point anyway. So I think this one is an easy pick. I'll take the Falcons uh, minus one. All right, next game up on the list, we have the Browns at plus. Uh, the Browns are five and a half point dogs to the Texans, and I'm not buying it for a second. I know they're on a little bit of a, a run here. They, they've won a couple games. They're decent now all of a sudden, but I'm still not buying it. The Texans have won eight in a row. They're a really good football team. I spoke on it before. They're playing a high level of football on 
both ends, not just offensively, but defensively as well. J.J. Watt is really healthy and strong right now, and he's going to present problems for a rookie quarterback. Baker Mayfield's going to have a tough test. I do like the Texans here by five and a half. Then next up, we have my New York Jets, who have been a bust all season. I have lost some money betting on them every single time. And again, I'm finding myself falling into the trap of picking them because they're seven and a half point dogs to a Tennessee Titans team that really has been up and down this season. You never know which team you're going to get. Got blown out on Monday night against the Texans. We don't know if Sam Darnold's going to be back or not. James Carpenter sent to IR. Either way, I just can't see the Tex, uh, the Titans beating anybody by more than a touchdown. So I'll take the Jets at 7.5. Next up, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers just coming off that loss against Denver. So they're hungry, looking to get back on track, and they're playing the Chargers. Now, this is going to be a very good game, in my opinion. Two powerhouse teams, both going to be in the playoffs. Um, Been overlooked, really, all season by the Patriots and the Kansas City Chiefs. But the Steelers are three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Chargers, and the Chargers coming off that big win against the Cardinals. I look for the Steelers to bounce back in a big way, and I do like the Steelers at three and a half here because, well, Phillip Rivers couldn't have played any better than he did last week, and I just don't think he's able to replicate that success. It's impossible. Nobody can replicate what he did a week ago, so I look for him to maybe turn the ball over twice or so. They're going to be without Melvin Gordon. That's probably why the spread is over three points right now because Melvin Gordon is out. So that will play a big part, and I think the Steelers will be able to get back on track. After that, we've got the Redskins against the Eagles. The Eagles are getting six and a half points here. And listen, the Eagles barely squeaked by the three and eight Giants. So why would I think that the Eagles can beat anybody by more than six points? Beating somebody by a touchdown is is a tough Task. That's a tall order to ask for. And a team under 500, I'm sorry. I know they're Super Bowl champs. I know they're playing a Colt McCoy led Redskins team, but that Redskins team is vying for a playoff spot. That Reuben Foster drama, I don't think that's going to, to really bother them that much. I'm not expecting the Redskins to win this game, although it doesn't matter who wins this game. The Redskins just can't lose by more than six and a half. And I, I like that bet there. Okay, then you have the Broncos coming off a big win against the Steelers at home, and they now play the Bengals, who lost uh, their quarterback, Andy Dalton, for the year, sent to IR. They're without A.J. Green, I believe. So the Broncos by five, yes, I will take that. I think that's one of the easier picks this weekend. So if you're a betting man, I would go with the Denver Broncos by five because I think they'll win by at least a touchdown. And then in the most shocking spread of the weekend and one of the more shocking spreads of the entire season is the Green Bay Packers, the 4-6-1 Green Bay Packers. They are 15-point favorites over the 
Arizona Cardinals, that's absurd. I'm sorry. I know the Cardinals are one of the worst teams in the NFL, but no way do the Packers beat them by 15 points. I just can't imagine that happening. As bad as the Cardinals are, I think they get David Johnson involved a little bit more again this week, and I just do not see it. The Packers have all sorts of problems right now. Then we have the Bills coming off a big win against the Jaguars. They are five-point dogs to the Miami Dolphins. Listen, who are the Dolphins? They're a a 500 team right now, below 500 team, lost the close one to the Colts, played them tough, but they're nothing special. And in a divisional game like this, the the, um, Bills have proven that they could play tough, competitive football with anybody right now. So I look for them to play hard. They have Josh Allen, who's looking decent. He's helped them a little bit. And uh, plus five, no, I think this game is decided by a field goal. Then you have the Bears over the Giants, okay? And I think this is a push at the time that I saw this. This is interesting. I don't know why. This is easily the Bears. Whatever the spread is here, I'll take them. They they have Chase Daniel. I get it. But Khalil Mack is going to destroy that offensive line. And Eli Manning better watch himself. He better go down fast because Khalil Mack is coming and they're going to need everybody to block him. So yeah, give me the the Bears in this one. Easy pick. And then you have the Panthers. They've been sliding of late, lost a couple in a row. They're going to need to get back on track, and I think that they do so. They're three-point favorites against the division rival NFC South Tampa Bay Bucks, who I said can't even fill seats. They had an eight-year low of attendance, so they're giving out free season uh, tickets to season ticket holders, a couple extra tickets to try to fill the seats there. And I think it's only at three because of the divisional game. Jameis Winston is back playing a little bit better than he was earlier in the year. I still think the Panthers are the better team. The Bucs can't stop anybody. Christian McCaffrey's going to have a big day. Cam Newton's going to have a big day. Give me the Panthers by at least at least seven. Then we have the Colts over the Jags. The Colts are playing really well. Andrew Luck is on fire, and if it weren't for Patrick Mahomes, he'd be getting talks about the MVP right now. But um, they're playing the Jaguars, who can't seem to beat anybody. They have benched Blake Bortles, and they will go with backup, a backup quarterback there in Cody Kessler. And I think that it's going to be all Colts in this one, trying to catch those uh, Texans in their AFC South division there. And then another interesting one, another AFC West uh, matchup, you have the Raiders, 15.5 point dogs to the Chiefs. And I know that the Chiefs beat the Browns, uh, the uh, the Cardinals actually, I think it was, the Cardinals covered when they played. So I'm not going to say that the uh, the Raiders, as bad as they are, I just don't believe. 15.5 points is a lot in NFL, in NFL games, so I just don't see them losing by this much. Plus now, everything that's going on with Kareem Hunt, this is going to be a big, big game. There's going to be a lot talked about with this game. Everybody's going to want to tune in to see what this team looks like now without Kareem Hunt. So look for the Raiders to keep it within 15 and a half. I think that's reasonable enough. Then we have the Vikings at plus five over the Patriots. Kirk Cousins played his best game of the season a week ago on Sunday night against the Green Bay Packers. The New England Patriots are a great team. Yes, Well, I wouldn't say great. They're a good team. They haven't really hit that peak stride just yet, although they looked very good when they beat the Chiefs weeks ago. They barely survived the Jets. So 
I look for the New England Patriots to have a close game here with the Vikings. I think the Vikings have a potential chance to win this because that defense is better than the Patriots defense is. And I think they'll have a better time stopping Tom Brady than New England D stopping the Vikings offense. So I like the Vikings here at uh, plus five, and I think they have potential to upset the Patriots here. And then you have the Seahawks at minus 11 over the 49ers. Listen, Nick Mullins was great in his first game against the Raiders, but that was against the Raiders. He's come back down to earth a lot, and he struggled last week against Tampa Bay. The key for the 49ers is getting George Kittle involved more. He only had a couple catches last week, and he he really didn't do much. He had like 20-something yards till late in the game, and then he broke out one or two more catches. But really, that's where the focal point has to be. They have to try to get George Kittle more involved. Otherwise, they stand no chance. And I'm taking the Seahawks here at 11 because they're at home, and we know how they can be at home. It's dominate. It, they dominate at home. We saw what they did to the Packers a couple weeks ago. Uh, Nick Mullins... On the road in Seattle, this is not going to be an easy game for him. So I like Seattle by 11. And that will be all. So that's your week 13 picks, everybody. I hope you enjoy. I hope you take some of my advice. I hope we do better, and I hope we win some money. I'll see you back here as we move along and get into our college football talk. Let's go. We start with Florida and Florida State. On Saturday, Florida beat Florida State 41-14. to This was significant because it ends Florida State's season under 500 at 5-7, and meaning they are not going to a bowl game for the first time in 36 seasons. That's right. That's not a mistake. 36 years since they have missed a bowl game, and the last time... The first time FSU won't go to a bowl game since they were 6 and 5 in 1981. Just incredible. Some teams just wish they could go to a bowl game on a yearly basis or or once in a every couple of years like my Rutgers Scarlet Knights there who can't even win a single game in the Big 10. Um but yeah, Florida State has just been a powerhouse over the years and first time in a very long time, that they will not be going to a bowl game. They also vacated some wins in 1983, 2006, and 2007. So that streak um, of 36 years going to a bowl game, that's not actually uh, rec- officially recognized just because they vacated those wins in those in those couple years, but still unbelievable. I recognize it. I mean, they went to a bowl game 36 straight years. It's incredible. Incredible. All right, baby. Ohio State is back. They are making things interesting for the committee. They absolutely destroyed Michigan. If you remember back last Saturday when I did the podcast, I had the game on in the background and I was giving some updates on that. They put Michigan in the ground. 62-39 to final, clinching the Big Ten East knocking Michigan and that number one ranked defense out of the college football playoff, which is a huge blow to Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines. He has still not been able to beat Ohio State 
since he's become the Michigan head coach. I don't know what it is about that, but it's bad. There's talks he's going to go back to the NFL now, and he probably should because he is not welcome in Ann Arbor anymore, I'm sure. As good a season as they had, he ruined everything by losing to Ohio State. They won't even get to play in the Big Ten championship game. Now Ohio State is in that game against Northwestern, and they have a shot, depending on how they play, and see. we'll see what Oklahoma does in, in their uh, Big 12 championship game. We'll see if uh, they're able to leapfrog Georgia when they lose to Alabama, because let's face it, Georgia ain't beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. Okay, Texas Tech, they fired Cliff Kingsbury, uh, Kingsbury after six seasons. The news came just a day after Texas Tech lost to Baylor, finishing their season under 500 at 5-7 and seven, and losing five straight on the year five straight to end the season not good that's that's a good way to lose your job actually so yeah he's out and there actually is some talk of him cliff kingsbury maybe transitioning to the nfl because there's going to be about maybe a half a dozen or so openings in the nfl we'll see what 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 happens with him or where his name um ends up in the circles that be with the rumor mill and whatnot so okay uh USC, I mentioned them. They had to play an undefeated Notre Dame team. to. They had to win to make it to a bowl game. Of course, they did not get that done. And despite losing that game, AD Lynn Swan surprisingly announced that Clay Helton will return next season. Coming into this season, Clay Helton gets a bad rap, but coming into this season, he did have a career record of 26-10. and 10. Granted, a lot of that due to Sam Darnold in his uh, freshman and sophomore campaigns. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, if you will. North Carolina had to make a co- uh, made a coaching change. They fired Larry Fedora after going 2-9. and nine. And it's funny because Larry Fedora, things were looking promising ever since he took over in 2012. They had a steady couple of winning seasons, and then it just ultimately went downhill. So in 2015, they went 11-3. and Really good year. That's I would love for Rutgers to go 11-3, and right? They then fall to 8-5. and Not great. And three and nine last year, so he has gone worse and worse by a big margin. But Fedora is bought out, fired. He'll receive his twelve million dollar buyout over the next four years, so he's living pretty. He really doesn't have to work anytime soon. But then, real quick turnaround, you uh, North Carolina they made a quick, quick coaching hire. They went out and got the legendary Mac Brown. Okay, Mac Brown, the former. Texas Longhorn head coach won a national championship there. He is going to replace Fedora, and he famously, Brown that is, he coached, he was head coach at UNC from 1988 to 1997, and he had a career 69-46-1 record, including three 10-win seasons. So very good track record, and obviously, you know, he led that lengthy um, period of success with Texas, with that ultimately culminated in that just thrilling. I was I was so young at the time, yet I just remember that thrilling 2005 BCS National Championship Rose Bowl game. He had Vince Young as his quarterback. Vince Young ran it in for that game-winning touchdown. That was Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart. USC was the powerhouse. USC was the Alabama of today, and they were 
They were uh, just so good, man. So good. Okay. Got to talk about Rashawn Gary for a quick second. The Michigan junior defensive lineman declared for the NFL draft. He's a 6'5", 285-pound beast. Many are saying that he's a top 5, top 10 type talent. And he's definitely going in the first round. So look for your team if they have a top pick to go out and draft Rashawn Gary. He was the number one overall recruit in the country for the 2016 class and nine games this year. He did miss three games in October due to a shoulder injury. He registered 38 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. And depending on who you ask, my dad is not impressed with Rashawn Gary. So we'll see. He's no NFL expert by any means, but we'll see how he pans out at the next level. And then we have Enkeel Harry, the Arizona State standout wide receiver who I just saw a mock draft today and they have my New York Jets at number four taking this kid. He's looked at by many as the number one overall wide receiver on the board. And if you don't know much about Arizona State football, just know that you probably saw the highlight of this kid making the ridiculous one-handed Odell Beckham-esque catch while he was falling to the ground. Probably the catch of the year in college football. So a little bit about Harry. He's a junior, 6'4", totaled 213 catches for 2,889 yards and 25 total touchdowns in three years. And then, of course, on Tuesday, as they do every Tuesday, the college football playoff rankings were revealed, and no big surprise there. The top three was unchanged. Michigan lost, so they drop a couple spots. Georgia jumped into that number four spot from five. The question was whether Ohio State was going to jump Oklahoma, and they did not. They remained at, uh, they moved up to number six, Oklahoma up a spot to number five. And it's going to get interesting. It's really going to get interesting because, again, Georgia most likely will lose to Bama. And then it's a question of how does Oklahoma look versus Texas, who gave them their only loss? And then how does Ohio State fare against Northwestern? It gets even more interesting if, God forbid, Alabama were to lose to Georgia. Is a one-loss Alabama team losing in the SEC championship game? Is that more significant than because it's happening now to to push them out of the top four? Or because it's happening so late in the season against the number four team in the country, do they keep Alabama at number four? and leave Oklahoma and Ohio State as the first two teams out. If it were me, if Alabama, never going to happen, just hypothetically, if Alabama lost this game, I would move them to number five. I would push them out of the college football playoff because, I'm sorry, a loss this late in the season should warrant that you get booted out of the playoff. That's it. So that would be my take, but that's never going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see, though, if Oklahoma were to lay an egg and and still win this in a close game where Ohio State blows out Northwestern and looks as dominant as they did last week against Michigan. Okay, so we have a couple, uh, another head coaching uh, decision that we have to talk about here, and that's Paul Johnson. He, the Texas... uh, 
Tech head coach has decided to call it quits after 11 seasons. He had a career 82 and 59 record, including a 51 and 37 record at Georgia Tech. He also uh, coached at Georgia Southern and Navy for a number of years. And if you don't really know college football that well or know the name Paul Johnson, just know that he is really, really well known for the triple option offense that he ran at Navy and at Georgia Tech. They led the country in rushing this season with 334.9 yards per game, which is ridiculous because their quarterback really rarely throws the ball. Okay, um, we also have another coaching change because we had Utah State head coach. Give me a second to pull it up here. The Yes, this guy. Okay, yes. Uh, I will admit I don't know much about Utah State. haven't really seen them play this year. Um, but Texas Tech, I mentioned they fired Cliff Kingsbury. Well, they have hired a new coach, and that is Matt Wells of Utah State. He will be their next coach to replace Cliff Kingsbury. So a little bit about Wells. He spent the last six seasons with Utah State compiling a 44-34 and 34 overall record. Not too shabby, okay? He was 30-18 and 18 against Mountain West opponents, so that's pretty good, division, division opponents there. They took a big leap toward the top of the Mountain West with a 10-2 record this year. So, yeah, 10-2, that's a, that's a, that's a big-time record right there. And so, yes, he will become the new head coach of Texas Tech. And then finally, Ed Oliver, who's looked at as probably the number one defensive player that's going to be taken uh, in April's draft, even though his stock is is slowly degrading over time and he's fall, slipping a little bit. But uh, the Houston the Houston product has decided that his college career is over and he will not play in the bowl game. Okay, he will not play in that game. He is skipping that and heading straight to the NFL. He announced, obviously, before the season that after this college season, he was definitely headed to the NFL, and he missed a couple games earlier in the year, and then we had the blowout with the coach a couple weeks ago, or not too long ago, where he was seen earlier in the uh, before the game on the field running around like a beast catching balls, but then he decided he was hurt and couldn't play in the game. So many were speculating that he was just looking out for his own personal future in the NFL. And then he wouldn't refuse to take off his jacket and had to blow up with the coach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, he's most likely going to be a top 10, top 15, maybe a top five pick, depending on whether his draft stock is actually falling or not because of you know some questions about his character. We'll see. I don't know. All right. Uh, I believe that does it. Uh, actually, there is a game on tonight. We've got Washington against Utah for the Pac-12 championship game. That's probably on right now on Fox. So you might be watching that. I don't know. And then we've just got a slate of games. It's all, it's championship weekend. That's it. Go watch your team play in the Big Ten Championship, SEC Championship. Just watch it all unfold. Let's see if we could have any upsets. I don't know. It's going to be a crazy weekend. I'm going to be on my couch. I'm going to be watching. Let's get it. Let's go. I'll see you on the flip side.
It's NBA Talk. Up next. Okay, we begin our NBA coverage with Kevin Durant. If you weren't watching last night because you were preoccupied with the Thursday night game, well, I've got some news for you. Kevin Durant dropped 51 points. End of the third quarter, he hit a shot from Steph Curry range near mid midcourt, and then at the end of regulation against Toronto, he dribbled into a corner with his back to the basket and one of the best, if not the best, defender in the NBA guarding him. He turned around and hit a three with Kawhi Leonard in his face to tie the game with about nine seconds. They went to overtime, and ultimately they fell to the Toronto Raptors. But what a game for Kevin Durant, who finishes with 51 points on 18 of 31 shooting. He he knocked down four triples from downtown, and he was 11 of 12 from the line. Not to be outdone by... Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors, who put up 37 points on 14 of 24 shooting. He hit three of six from downtown, and he was perfect six for six from the line. What a game. It had a, you know, a playoff-type atmosphere, and it could be, ladies and gentlemen, this could be a preview. We could be looking at a Golden State Toronto NBA Finals matchup perhaps because the Toronto Raptors have only lost four games this entire season so what a game for them and speaking of Kawhi Leonard he has agreed to an endorsement deal with New Balance he will serve as the face of the New Balance basketball brand so I'm trying to hold my tongue here and not laugh but New Balance is not known for basketball and they're trying to get back into basketball and and rebrand themselves a little bit I guess or get into the basketball space hey what better way to do it than pick up a big star in Kawhi Leonard I guess but to leave the Jordan brand to go to New Balance it's like eh, yikes that's a little that's a little bit much that's that's a big jump uh New Balance is no Jordan okay let me tell you but hey like I said Kawhi Leonard is the type of player that you want to build your brand around. He's playing at MVP level. Uh, There's no denying it. He's averaging 24.3 points per game to go along with 8.6 rebounds and 1.8 steals. So he's playing really, really good basketball, and the Raptors only lost four games. All right, there's talk about LeBron. When isn't there talk about LeBron? But it's really no surprise that he has been playing the point a lot with the Lakers and ignoring Luke Walton's play calling. He looks over at Luke Walton and he pretty much has been ignoring him. It's real again, it's no surprise, but according to Brian Windhorst, the scouts also have noticed that when James is running the point, he rarely looks towards the bench to receive play calls from Luke Walton, even when he has seen them, he ignores them and runs the play he prefers. Again, he's done this wherever he's been. So it's not really news, and you're not going to fool us, Magic Johnson, when you say that that's not true, because we all know it is. He got David Blatt fired from Cleveland when the guy was in the NBA Finals, and they weren't doing bad at all, and he gets him fired, and uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's what LeBron is. He's the best player in the world, I guess, so, you know, he does what he wants, and he doesn't care who's coaching him. Kyle Korver, one of my favorite players in the NBA, I've wished 
and hoped for Kyle Korver to come to my nets, and it just has never happened. But he has been traded from Cleveland, and he goes to Utah, where he played a portion of his career early on from 2007 to 2010. The Jazz will be sending Cleveland guard Alec Burks in exchange for Korver. They will also receive a 2020 and 2021 second round pick in the trade package. Korver this season is averaging a mere 6.8 points and 1.8 rebounds for the Cavs, while Burks is averaging 8.4 points and 1.6 rebounds per game. All right, I have a cool story to to talk to you about, and it involves Steph Curry. We all know he's been sidelined with an injury, and he's looking to come back actually quite soon. But we have a story here from a little nine-year-old girl who was who wanted to buy a pair of Curry fives, but basically she noticed that when she went on the website with her dad to purchase the basketball shoes, they only were labeled as boys' sizes. So she wrote a cute little letter to Steph, which actually reached him, and then Steph responded. So basically she said her name is it was cute. Her name was Riley, just like Steph's daughter, and she has a new basketball season coming up and she wanted to buy the shoes, but they didn't have them in any like girl sizes. They were just labeled for boys. Okay. So Steph, awesome. He responds writes her a handwritten note, actually, a letter, and he says that he has spoken to Under Armour to rectify this issue, and the smaller sizes were basically on the website as boys, and it was kind of like a little mistake there a little bit, like something they overlooked, and he said they're going to fix it immediately, and he's going to send her a pair of Curry 5s now, and he also said she'll be one of the first kids to get the Curry 6s when they come out, so really cool. And then he basically invited her and her dad to a game, and he said make sure you're in town for International Women's Day on March 8th because we have some big things planned, and you'll want to be there. So that's really cool. Good job by Steph. Love to hear cool stories like that and making amends and making things right for little Riley. Hopefully she could get those basketball shoes and have a great season of basketball. Okay. I mentioned the Washington-Utah game. That's on right now. We also have, uh, it might be over by now, but number 22, Wisconsin at number 14, Iowa. Big 10 matchup. Big game early on in the season between a couple of of teams. The Big Ten has the most ranked teams in the nation right now, with I believe seven. It's one of the it's it's it is the most um interesting conference in the country. I think it's the most entertaining. It's the most talented. You've got the likes of Michigan, who looks really really good right now. Michigan State just beat my Rutgers. Tonight, actually, it was a close game in the first half, but they ran away with it in the second half. Um, Ohio State has been really good this year. Just a lot of really talented, talented basketball teams there. Um, Anything else to go over in the NBA? I think, uh, yes, there's a couple injuries I want to mention. Dwight Howard, I talked about how he had that gluteal uh, injury. Well, he is going back to the... DL essentially he is done for about a couple of months he's going to get surgery um, and it's going to be basically back surgery because this injury has become I guess too much to bear and I don't know how he came back I guess it's worse than we initially thought 
but he is going to get a, a surgical procedure on his back. And again, he'll be out about two to three months, I believe. And then we have Victor Oladipo. Oh no, one more before Victor Oladipo. No, yeah, let's talk about Victor Oladipo for a second. He has, he's been hurt and um, he's going to be shelved now. He has a, uh, an ailing knee injury. He's out indefinitely, so don't know when he'll be back. They announced that today that he's been ruled out indefinitely. Um, he's probably their best player on the team, so this is a big blow for the Pacers. He injured himself when he left the game with uh, five minutes into their November 17th outing against the Hawks. He has not returned to action since, and without him, the Pacers are 3-3, three and three, which is not terrible. But uh, prior to that injury, Oladipo, again, their best player, averaging 22 points, 22.7 points, um, 6.9 rebounds, and 4.9 assists per game. And he's an all-star player, so it's going to be tough without him. And then we have Joakim Noah is back in the fold. He signed a one-year deal, believe it or not, with the Memphis Grizzlies at a veteran minimum. So... Interesting enough, they agreed uh, today actually, and he will make uh, it will be made official next week. So next week he'll probably uh, join the team and, and start playing. He was waived, of course, by the New York Knicks. He had a miserable couple of seasons with the Knicks after just an awesome start to his career with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, just two years with the Knicks, man, and he played in 53 of 164 games. Just constant injuries. Couldn't live up to the hype. Average five points, eight point eight rebounds, just just really bad. And he even went, underwent shoulder surgery in April. So I don't know if he's still got anything left in the tank, but we'll see if he can contribute on a new team, new blood. Maybe it reinvigorates him. We'll see. And then of course we have uh, tonight the Nuggets at the Blazers at ten thirty. These are a couple of good teams in the West. The Nuggets are the number two team in the West right now, actually. So that looks to be a good game. That's ready to kick off in about 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, it looks like that's going to do it for our NBA coverage. Um, stay tuned. I've got a couple more things I want to go over. Some some notes, pointed notes I want to mention um, in baseball, uh, a couple trades and uh, free agent signings to go over here. So uh, yeah, let's let's get that ball rolling right now.